I am going to talk about the title of the message is God's Headship Order. And I want to look at what does God say in his word about headship? What does he say about the rules of men and women? Um, first of all, um, I, want to, I want to think of the men, speak to the men here this morning. Um, what does it mean to you to be a leader? What does define, if you would define the word leader, what would you, what would you think? In your minds, just think about that for a little bit. What is a leader? And I would like to suggest that every, every uh, man and boy here this morning is a leader or will be a leader someday. I mean, you're a leader if you're a husband of your, if you're a husband or if you're a father, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you are a leader in some way or another. Society today has corrupted that. Society today is doing all they can to raise women to be leaders and to teach men and boys that they do not have what it has, what it takes to lead out. That is society's agenda. Teaching boys to despise masculinity. The 1960s, 70s, and 80s were well known for feminist movements. Women would march in large groups of, of people, uh, of la large groups down through cities, big cities like New York and Chicago, and they would call it the women's liberation movements. Women's liberation movements. In 1970, um, probably because of because of these because of these movements, um, in 1970, in some states, all purchases that a woman made belonged to her husband, even if she earned it. So if she went out and earned something, all those purchases belonged to her husband. That was the rule in some states. And married women could not make a contract or obtain a credit card without her husband's signature back in 1970. There were no police women. There were no female firefighters. And get this, all hurricanes bore women's names. <clears throat> One person said a woman, women were considered creators of chaos. That's why they were named women. I don't think that's true, but just something I came across. Anyway, all, all uh, yeah. Hurricanes were renamed after women. And during these years, the, the uh, feminist activism it just exploded in the US and all around the world. And this changed um, the, uh, and expand, this changed and expanded the rights of, of women and opportunities and identities available to women. And I just look, think about how that has changed our society, how that has shaped our society. Um, masculinity is looked down upon, as I mentioned before. Feminism is promoted. Prisons are full of young men who were told that they're worthless and they just can't meet up to what, um, to what they can be. It has belittled men, looked down on men. And I believe when we get away from God's order and headship, the way God planned it from the beginning in biblical marriage and the family unit, it opens a door up for major chaos and chaos in the world and disconnect from the truth and order in the way that God intended it to be. God didn't, 
I believe I can say this. God did not create women to be leaders, to be able to mentally handle the job of a leader. I'm sure there's some that can have those capabilities, and, um, but as a whole, um, you know, women have so many other capabilities and abilities that men do not have. <clears throat> but in God instilled leadership in men. And there's many cases where men cannot be leaders or don't be leaders, but as a whole, God instilled that. And this movement to move away from God's order and the way God intended to be resulted in movements today, like just in the past 40, 50 years, um, movements like we have never seen before in history. And just for a little history lesson this morning, um, there's some statistics that, statistics that I came across and I thought really needed shared. Um, in 1963, only one and a half percent of couples divorced before their fifth anniversary. Only one and one and a half percent, and that was in 1963. By the 1990s, that number changed to 11 percent. So from 63 to 90s, that increased drastically. Um, in an article I read, during the World Wars, women joined the workforce. Um, Divorce rates went up over that time because they seen how they could provide for themselves and they didn't need their husbands to provide for them. They had more freedom. <clears throat> and from the 1800s through the 1900s, that slowly climbed at a very small pace. But the idea of the all-American family was created in 1950. So there was a time period where there, there was a lot of emphasis on the American family and the family unit. And in 1950, 2.5 divorces per 1,000 people, but that dropped, continued to drop to 2.3 in 1955 and 2.1 in 1958, when the family unit was, was promoted and the divorce rate dropped just in that time, in that period of time, in the 1950s. By 1960, it changed again, and it overwhelmingly increased. And through the 1970s was the, the hippie era, and just rates started increasing through that time. And until the 1990s, um, it just increased and increased. And the older generation today is still divorcing. But the millennials, but the, the, actually the, the rates have been decreasing now in the past few years because of the reason that millennials aren't even getting married. They're just living together. <clears throat> And I believe it all stems back to a departure of God's order in headship <clears throat> and a departure from the authority and accountability. No, what, nobody today wants to be accountable to anybody. Nobody wants that authority figure over them. And when I say that, I say in general, as society um, in general. Now today, we have, we have movements that, which, which are unheard of in, in, in um, history, LGBTQ movements and um, pride, the, the rainbow, and I was just in Target yesterday. I usually say to boycott Target because of the reason that they, they um, donate millions of dollars to these, to these um, LGBTQ groups. I needed something I couldn't find anywhere else, so I stopped, but normally I don't try to, try to go there. But <clears throat> they are using the rainbow color, something that is so beautiful, and twisting it into something that is so um, distorted, so far from what God intended it to be. 
And transgender movements today are just removed so far from reality. Minds that are not really thinking clearly, but yet they're given a voice to, they're given a platform to voice their sinful ways. Abolish the police has been heard in the news recently. Abolish the police. And can you imagine the chaos it would result if the police, if there was no order of police, if, if there was no authority figures there, um, you would have massive chaos. The world would be in just absolute chaos. When there's no order in headship, there is chaos. And that's, that's the truth. And God knew that from the very beginning. And I'm glad there's a beginning. And let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at what God um, intended from the very beginning. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2. And I want to read, right now I want to read verses 18 to 20. <clears throat> and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out, of the, and, out, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And this is a very familiar story to, to us. And... <laughs> clearly laying it out here, Genesis chapter 2 from the very beginning, what God intended it to be. God intended Adam to be the leader. He is to be, he is accountable. He is accountable um, as the leader for his family, I do believe. And she is a helpmeet. And there is um, different reasons here. Um, he was created first. Adam was created first. And um, there's a note that's here that somebody or um, that Adam named all the animals before even before the creation of Eve. It's find that interesting that Adam named all the animals before the creation of Eve. And what I want to point out is God held him responsible for the sin that was committed, and that tells me. And we'll, we'll get into that uh, a little, little later. But it tells me that we as men, we are leaders. And we are given a greater responsibility, I believe, for the, to the, the direction that our family goes. And the choices that our family makes, us as men, as leaders, are given, are accountable to God for that reason. Now, let's go over to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to look at verses 8 and 9. Just turn the page there. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? I'm going to stop right there. So, Eve sinned first, right? That, we know that from earlier. Eve sinned first, and Adam sinned as well. But who did God call? God called Adam's name. He called Adam first. And... He was holding, God was holding Adam responsible for the sin. Even though Eve, Eve took the initial steps and, and, uh, and brought them into it. But God held him responsible. And the same way for us, God calls us as leaders to care, to protect, and to lead our families. And in so many families, it, it, it works the opposite way. Where the wife 
wears the pants, so to speak. She makes the decisions, and the man just kind of blindly follows after and with his head down and just not really, you know, she's making the decisions. And, you know, that God called the, the man to be the leader and to step out and, and lead. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And that's what the Bible says. And not saying that a wife is inferior, or a, a, a woman is inferior to the man. God created each of us, men and women, equal in image, equal in value, and equal in worth. And... But he placed heads over each one of us. Us as men have a head, and each of the uh, a wife has a head as well. And so, many husbands, I do believe today, abuse that rule, and they do not treat um, her with love and care as the weaker vessel. And that is so sad to see when that happens. That puts him in a very dangerous place. I do believe a very dangerous place. Um, of being accountable to God in the way he um, treats those under him. <clears throat> so let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> look, the, look at the very beginning, what God intended in the headship order from the very beginning in Genesis. Now I want to go to chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and... Let's read, first of all, let's just read verses 1 through 3. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So each of us has a head over us. And I find it interesting here that he mentions first the, man, the head of every man is Christ. doesn't mention the head of the woman is the man, or even the, the, it doesn't mention Christ's head of, of, of being God. He mentions the man. The first of all is the man. The head of every man is Christ. Why does he mention the man first? And... Maybe he realized, I believe, that how important it is for us as men to, to know that and to um, remember that because sometimes we as men have a tendency to think we can do this on our own and we don't need authority or we don't need those over us. Um, and I believe it's saying that no matter how big, how macho men may try to become, um, we are accountable to Jesus Christ and he is our head and needs to be our dependence, really does. And so many times we as men try to do it on our own. It's, it's so common. And we need to remember that, that Christ is our head. We are accountable for our actions, whatever we do, and um, accountable to, to Jesus Christ. And so he lays out the headship order here. Christ has a head. God is the head of Christ. And maybe a little bit hard to understand. We know um, Jesus said, me and my father are one. And so, you know, but Jesus is still accountable to God. And so we, we th I think of many times throughout, throughout the Bible where Jesus mentioned that he was trying to do the will of his father. He wanted to do the will. He wanted to please his father. And so in that way, he was accountable to God. 
And that's the, the beauty of the order of the headship of, of this. Uh, we, are, we all are accountable to God. We all are under the authority of God. But God places individually, God places a head over, over us individually to be accountable to. <clears throat> and then in the, la- in the next um, verses here, why don't we um, read verses 4 through 15. It speaks of the headship veiling. And I want to I talk about that here in the, in the, the rest of the message here. Um, verses Verses four. Well, let me just ask you this first: Why do we wear the headship veiling? Just think in your minds. Why is maybe maybe pointed to to the to the ladies more directly? Why do we wear the headship veiling? And it'd be interesting to go around and have everybody say why why they wear why they wear the headship veiling. Uh, but let's go ahead and just read verses four through fifteen. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man." For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God's. Judge in yourselves. Is it commonly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So this has been a topic of contention for the last hundred years. And, you know, the Bible makes it very clear that God expects women to wear a covering or a veiling to show her submission to the headship order. And I have had close friends, I have had distant family members and people that I know of that um, I have observed people who, who um, took steps away from this and to see them just drop it and totally go away from what God had originally planned. And usually when that happens, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And why is that? Why is it that it gets dropped? It's a very necessary ordinance of God, and it's not man-made as what people like to say. It's the Bible. It's God's word spoken to us through the Bible. And we need to understand why we do what we do. Why do we wear, why do we, why do are, are the women wear a headship veiling? And, you know, I understand that the sisters get more attention. We, we stand out more. Um, there's questions. We get questioned why we do that. And, um, you know, to, to answer, well, I was just brought up that way. It's just always what my mom always did that, and I was always brought up that way. It's not, not a good answer. The Bible says 
the, the way to answer them is the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we wear it to show our submission to the headship order and to wear it when we pray because of what it teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I understand it can take us off guard at times and maybe don't always have the right answer, but it, it's something that I think we need to be reminded of. And um, so we have an answer to answer the world why we do what we do, because that's very important that we, we know exactly why we do what we do. And not just because it's something that we always did. That's, I think that's very important for us. Um, submission, headship, and prayer, failing. <clears throat> do you know that all throughout history, women have worn head coverings, all throughout history. And you can look at Bible times, you can look at pictures in, in Bible times where we, um, Sunday school lessons or wherever we have pictures of, of that depicting women in Bible times, they're all wearing head, head coverings. Uh, the Middle Ages, through the Middle Ages, Catholics were required to wear head coverings. And you can see pictures in the early 1900s, uh, real pictures in the early 1900s or, or whenever it is, where they are, women are wearing head coverings, at least wearing them to church. <clears throat> in 1917, the Catholic Church was again required, was requiring all women to wear coverings. And it was not looked down, down upon. It was a common practice that everybody, that's what everybody did. And so when did that stop? I mean, this was general, general across the board. When did that stop? And now today, most, many, most, probably, I would say most people do not. Most women do not uh, out in the world today. When did that stop? <clears throat> it was in the 1960s. The 1960s to the 1980s is when the feminist movement brought a major decline in head coverings. When women no longer felt that they needed to be in submission to man, they, they no longer felt that they needed to have, be at that submission. So imagine that this morning. Mankind on this earth for 2,000 some years since Jesus Christ and just in the past 70 to 100 years or 170, 100 years have women stopped wearing, wearing them. So something is wrong. There has been a major shift in defiance to God's ordained order. And I see what it has brought. It has brought um, bro broken homes, just chaos through the world. And I believe it is only when God's word is respected and obeyed will order again be obtained. So moving on here, verses 4 through 7. Um, yeah, we, we read over it. Every man, pr man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. And so... That brings up uh, another point. Men um, are not supposed to have their head covered. And I, it's one reason maybe that I don't wear a hat. I mean, I'm not saying I don't ever wear a hat, but um, to go out into public, um, I, I, I feel that if my wife has to, is, has to wear a covering continually all the time, why should I wear a, a cap or a hat? And I'm not, obviously not, not going to think less of anybody that wears a hat. I'm just saying that's the way I, I feel. If I, if I expect her to wear a covering all the time, then maybe I shouldn't have to wear a hat. And I understand wintertime, you know, you, you need to. But, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm against that at all. I'm not saying if you want to wear a hat, I'm not going to look down on you in any other way. I'm just saying that that's kind of the way I, that's the way I, kind of the way I feel. And, um, and it's not wrong, obviously. But 
except when we pray. So the Bible says when we pray, us as men are not supposed to have a hat. And to, to all the children here this morning, that's the reason why men t- will take their hat off to pray. Is because God says it dishonoreth his head when he prays. <clears throat> and verse 5, couldn't be any more clear, but every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered, uncovered dishonoreth her head, and, or dishonoreth her husband or her authority figure in her life. Wearing a head covering shows her submission to the headship order. And just moving on there, um, it's, it talks about if she doesn't cover her head, might as well, she might as well shave her hair. And it's, it's, some of these verses are a little bit hard to understand. We have to dig into them. Um, but I believe what it's saying is that it's a shame for a woman to have short hair. Um, her hair is her glory. And in verse 15, it says, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. So it's, it's, her, it's a glory um, to her to have long hair. And, and it couldn't be more clear um, that not wearing is a disrespect for, for, those, for the head, for those in authority. And, you know, it's not my word here. It's, this is what, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, written by Paul through the Holy Spirit revealing it and God's word to us today, and that's across the board. Verse 10, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. And I stopped and thought about that. What is it saying to have power on her head because of the angels? That's very interesting that it's mentioned, the angels are mentioned in the same verse as, as the same sentence, the same breath as asking a woman to wear a covering. And I believe that there should be meaning, meaningful to each one of the sisters here this morning that is wearing a covering because there is something about that that the angels notice. The angels notice. And just looking at different translations, what that verse is saying in other translations, the RSV says veil, uses the word veil to have veil on her head. The NLT version says because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head. And that's the, NL, the NLT version says in those very words, because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head. The NIV version uses the word authority instead of the, the word power, authority on her head. And so that's, it's something that I believe the angels notice. And, it's, and maybe it's, it's uh, something that we don't think about from day to day, but the angels notice and the angels admire that, I do believe. And I would like to think that the angels provide a special protection, a special protection um, on a woman that is veiled. I, I don't know, um, I don't know what, this, what, that, what that all means there on that verse, but um, it's interesting to, to notice, to see. And verses 11, 11 through 14, um, speak of the beauty in God's creation in the, the differences in men and women. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing that God has created. It's normal for men to have short hair. Um, it says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And it is a glory 
uh, to, to the woman. It's, a, it, it's her glory. And then in verse 15, we read verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So that verse, what's that verse saying? There's, there's many people that look at that verse and say, well, she don't have to wear a covering because her hair is her covering. That's where many people use that verse right there as an excuse not to. So what we need to do, when we see it have a verse like that, we need to look at what the words are meaning. What does the word mean when it says covering in verse 15? For a covering. What is, what is that word? Why does he say for a, for a covering? Do you think Paul would devote a whole chapter to, um, to, to telling women to wear a head covering, a whole chapter, and just come into the last verse and say, that's ah, not needed? No, there, that is, if we look at what, the, what that word covering is in verse 15, we need to understand the, the Greek word for covering. That word is not the same word in Greek. It's not the same Greek word as what it is over here in verse 6, as it talks about to be covered. That's a different word. It's a different meaning. And so what that word, the word in verse 6, covered, means, uh, means to veil or to cover, okay? to cover her, her hair. Verse 15, that word means to cast about or to wrap around. So we think of her hair as a covering, to use it to wrap around, like in a, um, to, to wrap it around. And the other thing we think about too, verse 15, if the hair is the covering, if there's not supposed to be a covering, and if the hair is the covering that the women are supposed to wear, then that hair is the same covering that men are not supposed to wear. In other words, it'd be saying that men, then the men, are, if men are not supposed to be covered, then they would need to be bald in order to pray. They couldn't have any hair. They'd have to eliminate all the hair. And so we, we have, to, have to understand that it's not the same, it's not meaning the same thing. It's talking about um, the hair being wrapped around as a, as a covering. And so, I, I, look, I look here at this chapter, and the only conclusion I can see is for women to cover their heads. It's so clear. And people will say, in our culture today, people will say today that, well, it's not our culture. Our culture has changed, and it's not our culture um, to, to do that, uh, to, to wear. And, but I would say that, that who is it that changed culture? If it was always that way, and our culture decided not to, that's not changing. That's not God's word. Is still is not changing that. So, it's uh, you know whose idea was it to change culture to not wear it? God originally said to wear it, and so um, I just I, I think you think back again and how the these the movements have did so much to change shape the culture to what it is today, and. We all are under authority, men and women alike. We all are accountable to God in some way or another and have headship authority over us. And then verse 16. Verse 16 says, But if any man does seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. And so verse 16, if just I pulled it up in the NLT version just to see what other versions of the Bible say about it. It says, if anyone wants to argue, I simply say we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's churches. So it's simply, 
being the standard. That is the standard that was set. And, and there's no changes. Um, we, that's, that's the way it's, it's been and that's the way it is. And so we need to understand, um, you know, I, I'm so glad that we observe this. I'm so glad we do because we don't have to come to 1 Corinthians 11 and just tiptoe around it. We can say that, I, that, that we observe God's teachings and we do what God expects us to do. We fully obey Christ's teachings. And we don't have any regrets. We don't have any regrets that we um, follow what Christ wants us to do. So I want to turn um, in closing to Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn in your Bibles, just look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, let's go to verses uh, 20, verse 22, and read verses 22 to 27. <clears throat> Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present, present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I'll stop right there. So when we see this here taking place, where... The wives submit to the husband, and the husband loves their wives as Christ loved the church. And that's a very important part of that verse. Yes, husbands love your wives, but as Christ loved the church. That, that takes a whole new meaning on love, doesn't it, for husbands? When we think about um, sacrificial love that Christ gave, and that's, that's very important to distinguish. But when we see this taking place, and the headship order is practiced, I believe God is pleased. And God is pleased with a church that can be presented as clean, without spot, and without wrinkle. And that's what it's saying here. The church, when the church works together, when husbands and wives are working together and loving each other, and um, families are, are uh, working together as a family, as God intended it to be, it's a beautiful thing. And, and Christ, uh, we can be presented as without spot and without wrinkle. And I... I believe that's God's plan from the very beginning as we looked in Genesis um, from the very beginning. And so let's preserve it. Let's keep that. Let's keep that, uh, that headship order. And so we can be presented to him someday when he comes back for his church and we can be presented to him without spot and without wrinkle. And we can hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's something that... that I look forward to and just to to be able to meet Jesus Christ and without spot or wrinkle and we and know that we were um, fully obeying his um, his commands and that we were living our all for him in every aspect of our lives and the other aspect too is submitting to authority I mean there's there's uh, many authority um, figures in the world today that each one of us has to obey 
I mean, there's, there's government authorities, there's um, smaller town, uh, township uh, authorities, there's um, the road. When we drive on the road, there's, we need to obey, you know, the, the, uh, the traffic, um, signs, everything. And there's so many authorities over us. And, and uh, to, to fully obey authority, that's what Christ wants us to do. And, to, um, um, and we can be uh, presented um, spotless without wrinkle. So why don't we all stand for a word of prayer, and then after the prayer, Lee, if you would have a, a closing song, and then you can be, consider yourselves dismissed. So let's all stand for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pause before you today again and just want to thank you for um, the teachings of your word. We thank you that we can go back to Genesis from the very beginning and we can look at um, your plan, what your plan was for Adam and Eve and um, essentially for the rest of the human race. And we can see the examples that you laid out. And um, so many times through history, man has corrupted that and has gone the way they want to go and did things that, 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 you, um, that you did not uh, uh, like. It was abomination to you. Lord, I pray that each one of us here, that we could respect authority over us, each one of us, and Lord, we could um, live out the, um, the submission headship that you, um, that you ordained from the very beginning and that we could be uh, accountable to those um, over us. Lord, help us to do that. So many times we feel like we can do it on our own and we don't need that over us, but Lord, I pray that when those times come, help us to um, turn back to you and to follow your word, what you want us to do. Lord, just be with us as we go from here. Help us to have a good day today. Help us to enjoy your creation, and we just thank you so much for what you have done and what you will do for us in the future. Just lead, guide, and direct us as we go from here. We th I thank you, Lord, for each one here. Just bless each one. In your name I pray. Amen. Have a song.